Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Worcester Talking Newspaper, recorded at Colin Chan's house on Thursday the 13th of June. I'm Jenny Tansy, standing in for Evelyn Brock, who's uh, not well, but we wish her a very speedy recovery. And with me reading the news are... Paddy Fellows. <coughs> Brian Edwards. Jules Watkins. John Plush is our engineer. Carol Hartley is working on the administration. And this week's copying team are John and myself. Thanks to Worcester News for all our information. The headlines this week are Friday, I found a dead snail in my burger. Saturday, jailed for noise, row, headbutts. Monday, car wash, rampage. Tuesday, YMCA staff under siege. Wednesday, I'm appalled child killer is free. And Thursday, schools fear over new McDonald's. And now I'll pass you over to Paddy for the first headline. And I'll start with the horrors of the snail story. A man has spoken of his shock when he bit into a McDonald's burger and discovered a dead snail. The burger was delivered by Uber Eats from the McDonald's in Hilton Road, Worcester, and Aidan Griffiths said both are blaming each other for the slimy surprise. It was delivered to his home in Maple Avenue, Toledyne, within 30 minutes. He bit into the bun, but immediately spotted the snail and quickly spat out the contents. He said, perched in between the bun and the patty, I found a snail. It certainly was a shock, and a bit disappointing too, because obviously it's a brand we're supposed to be able to trust. I contacted McDonald's and the manager there was helpful and said he had escalated my concern. Can't fault him, maybe fault the staff for neglecting to see this concern while constructing this delightful meal. As I begin to tap away at the phone screen, inputting to Uber Eats, there was a snail in my burger, they gave me a refund. Mr Griffiths said he was quickly given the refund, but after sending an email to McDonald's customer service to highlight the problem and ensure that it wouldn't be repeated, he was bemused when they said it was Uber Eats' fault. Despite the food arriving in a sealed bag from the restaurant, which he said clearly had not been tampered with by the driver. The food is from McDonald's. It was lovingly cooked, handcrafted with the utmost of care and attention. Aside from its escargot, the snail, he said. Surely it's McDonald's fault. I called Uber Eats, to which they say I have to submit another help ticket detailing why I am annoyed with this and why I don't feel like I get a form of resolution from a refund. I hope that I can get a little bit more of a resolution from my situation than being flung back and forth between these two. I doubt I'll be in McDonald's any time soon. He paid £2.50 for the delivery. Uber Eats refunded the full amount of the meal and the delivery. Mr Griffiths added that he was keeping the meal, which includes the snail, in his freezer as evidence. Uber Eats were unavailable for comment. 
and McDonald's spokesperson said, we are disappointed to hear this customer's experience was not a positive one. We have found no evidence that this originated in the restaurant or in the delivery process. However, Uber Eats has refunded the full cost of the customer's meal and their delivery charge. The next headline is the one that reads, Jailed for Noise Row, Head Butts. Convicted sex offender grabbed his victim by the throat and headbutted him at least twice in the face, breaking his nose. This was following a row over noise at a Worcester flat. Matthew Hoskins was jailed following this devastating attack which happened when the victim told the defendant to stop making noise. The judge overruled the defendant's barrister who pleaded with him not to send his client to prison, arguing that he was really a sensitive and intelligent man and not a thug. However, at Worcester Crown Court last Thursday, Judge Robert Dukes QC told Hoskins that he'd seen cases where headbutts had been fatal and the use of the head was akin to the use of a weapon. The 32-year-old of Tolladyne Road, Worcester, admitted assault occasioning actual bodily harm following the assault on Richard House on February 23rd last year and Hoskins accepted using at least two headbutts. Nicholas Byrne, prosecuting, said the victim had complained that Hoskins was making excessive noise and went to speak to him, saying words to the effect, Oi, stop smashing on the ceiling. The description from Mr House is that the defendant, without warning, raised his hands and grabbed him around the throat and pushed him against the wall. It's not quite manual strangulation, said Mr Burns, but whilst that was going on, headbutts were delivered and the victim believes he had a broken nose. Mr Byrne went on to say that Mr House had suffered a deviated septum and is due to have an operation to repair the damage. He was also left with black eyes for two weeks and had to take a week off work to recover. The court heard that Mr Howes had suffered stress and anxiety after the assault and difficulties breathing because of the nose injury. And when he does go into hospital, he'll have to spend about five days there. Mr Byrne added, The use of the head by headbutting is effectively the use of a weapon in the same way one would regard a shod foot. Hoskins had previous convictions for burglary, assault, occasioning actual bodily harm, common assault, criminal damage, battery, wounding, grievous bodily harm against an elderly stranger, arson, a further assault occasioning actual bodily harm, a sexual assault and several counts of harassment. His offending began when he was still a youth in 2002 and ran up until 2016. Mr Nicholas Berry, defending, said, This is a vulnerable man with significant mental health issues that were prevalent at the time. Mr Berry said there was a real danger because of his client's record that the judge would conclude that he was just another thug. Well, he's not. 
The author of this report describes him as an intelligent, sensitive man and he comes across that way when one speaks to him. Mr Berry described Hoskins as a man doted on by neighbours in the block of flats where he lived in Worcester, saying that he did live a somewhat isolated life with his cats. Some of his neighbours supported him at court. Mr Berry said that his client had previously been sectioned at Newtown Hospital in Worcester and had previously tried to kill himself. And Mr Berry went on to argue that Hoskins would lose his home and benefits if jailed. However, Judge Robert Jukes QC said prison was necessary, describing a headbutt as one of the worst forms of assault and told Hoskins the damage done with the forehead can be devastating, especially when used by someone who knows how to use their forehead. He added, I have seen occasions where this has resulted in fatal injuries. Judge Jukes also said the victim was still waiting for the operation which would bring him some relief, relief and relief from the pain he suffers. He accepted Hoskins was not a thug but told him, on this occasion you did behave like a thug and the consequence was a very serious physical injury. And he sentenced Hoskins to two years immediate custody. This is from Monday, June the 10th, Car Wash Rampage. A drunk woman struck a car wash employee multiple times in the face before causing £2,000 worth of damage to vehicles after an argument with her partner. Adele Thomas lost control after drinking alcohol in the city centre. Having already taken on anti-anxiety tablet, she bought off the street a court heard. The 29-year-old was released from prison earlier this year and was still under post-sentencing supervision when she committed the offences at the car wash in George Street, Worcester. But a magistrate said glowing references from her offender manager and homeless shelter St Paul's Hostel, where she is currently living, meant he was swayed into favouring a more lenient sentence. We have taken into account your guilty, early guilty plea and, most importantly, the two letters which in my 13 years on this bench I have never seen before, said Chair of the Bench Ken Knight on Thursday. That says a lot of things about how well things have gone recently. Thomas entered the car's washed forecourt at 4pm on May 24th and demanded somebody call the police for an unknown reason after becoming agitated, said prosecutor Nicola Ritchie. The defendant then picked up a traffic cone and threw it at a BMW 520, owned by John Fletcher, while it was being washed causing £1,350 worth of damage. Thomas was told by staff member Pallorn Morlap he would call the police if she didn't calm down before she would became screaming, began screaming into his face and slapped him. Miss Ritchie said members of staff then began to escort the defendant away after she had assaulted the victim twice more in the same manner. She then slammed her fist down on the bonnet of a parked Audi A6, owned by Nikolai Ferraru, causing damage of around £600 and dented a Volkswagen Golf. The court heard Thomas had been jailed for seven months last October after she admitted common assault, criminal damage and breaching a suspended sentence for assault occasioning actually bodily harm. Ian Parsons, defending, said his client had in the past self-medicated for her mental health difficulties by drinking a significant amount but emphasised that she had turned a corner. Thomas had been working hard to overcome her alcohol problems alongside Worcester Community Mental Health Centre as well as the Tower Hill Hostel, he continued. Mr Parsons said that she had 
she had been prescribed anti-anxiety medication and had run out so brought a tablet off the street that was not supposed to be drink not supposed to drink after taking it. The solicitor said his client simply lost control after drinking with her partner and getting into an argument. He said Thomas was very upset and wanted staff to call the police, though admitted she had little recon- uh, recollection of what happened. During an interview with police, she was shown CCTV footage and accepts the assault and the damage, making a full admission. Mr Parsons said in October the court was left with no option but to send her to jail, but you will see from, from the report that she is doing well. Mr Knight gave Thomas a four-month community order which includes a curfew between 7pm and 7am and ordered her to pay Mr Moralab £150 in compensation. She was also ordered to pay £500 to Mr Fletcher for the damage to the BMW, £200 to Mr Ferreru and £100 to Mr Anderson. The latter could not be contacted by the court prior to the hearing to get an estimate for the damage. Mr Knight told Thomas that other people are working very hard for you and you have to do the same back. The headline for Tuesday, June the 11th, YMCA staff under siege. A former security guard at the city's YMCA has called for a review into the staff and resident safety after the facility came under siege from troubled youths. The night concierge, who did not wish to be named, resigned after he was allegedly assaulted during a shift by a resident of the Henwick Road charity as staff lost control. The 45-year-old dad, who had only worked there for six weeks, on the day in question claims he was later prevented from filling out an incident report. With the building set to be converted into student accommodation by summer 2020, he hopes the incident is not swept under the carpet, as there appears to be a shocking disregard for staff welfare. It wouldn't surprise me if something else happens up there between now and the place closing, he said. I just hope it's not something serious because I think the potential is there for something very serious to happen soon unless something is done. The man who lives in Worcester said the culprit for the attack on Sunday, June the 2nd was arrested and he believes they were high on cannabis and MDMA. I think it's well known in this area that there is a drug problem at the Worcester YMCA, but I was shocked at just how deep it ran, he said. I went on to describe how the stench of cannabis is just unbelievable in the corridors and staff were regularly verbally abused by a core group of teenage residents. Another incident saw an adult resident with mental instability go running around with a kitchen knife, one night tucked into her belt making threats to go and kill her ex-boyfriend, he claimed. It comes back to safeguarding and procedure and protocol. Things like that shouldn't be happening. He said he was given a job on an ongoing zero-hour contract by agency A&E Services Limited in Redditch and started at the end of April. Part of the remit was to have completed SIA licence training, which he had, having done a number of security jobs in the past. It was sold to me as a security concierge role, but the more I got into the job, it became apparent it was 10% that, but 70% support work. I thought I was taking on a lot more within the role that was more relevant to somebody who had a background of social work and specialist safeguarding skills, care work, that kind of role. On the night in question, he arrived for his shift at 9pm 
and was made aware in a handover briefing that one teenage female resident, understood to be, low, to be below 18, had been smoking cannabis all day. He was then made aware that a resident, understood to be in his 20s, had had his cigarettes forcibly taken off him by the girl. Soon after the shift started, there was a commotion, and the guard heard running down the corridor before he found the resident and two females in tears in reception, and the former claimed to have been assaulted. After that, things just got absolutely crazy, he said. There's this hardware group of youngsters there who take drugs. They shoplift. They don't go anywhere really outside their gang. They are always together, and that's where the trouble starts. The guard and another security colleague locked themselves into the security office with the three distressed residents as the main offender was banging on the door and screaming abuse. He said that as they waited for the police to arrive, it had become like a siege. The resident in question, her behaviour, became more erratic. At one point, as things appeared to calm down, the guard opened the door and confronted the ringleader, but was punched in the face before retreating, he claimed. It really felt like we had lost control and were out of our depths, he continued. We don't have the power of restraint that the police have. We don't have the tools at our disposal. We don't have pepper sprays or batons or anything like that. We just have the power to say to people, stop, don't do that, and that's it. After the police had arrived and we had given this statement, the on-call manager, who had also come to the scene, told the guard to go home. I needed to fill out a guard report and a separate incident report for my agency, he continued. He was like, no, you can't do any of that. I was like, why? This is procedure. The guard said he told the manager he couldn't work under these circumstances and was allegedly told, well, you knew what you were taking on when you took the job. I was angry and taken aback at the, same, at the time, he said. Are you telling me that assault is part of the job? I couldn't believe what I was hearing. They are supposed to be a Christian organisation and their values are supposed to be brought upon and they are telling me that assault is the norm. I was gobsmacked, shocked. I know the YMCA is said to close later this year, but that's no excuse to let standards drop. Staff are at risk. Residents are at risk. There's no excuse. It comes from the top down. Complaints come from the top down, but it's hard to investigate. Change when nobody listens to you, he added. Alan Morehouse, YMCA Head of Adults and Communities, said the organisation supports some of the most vulnerable in our community, but that the safety of the residents and staff is of paramount importance. He went on to say the Henwick Road site provides 24-7 on-site staff and the communal area in the buildings are covered by CCTV while welfare checks are regularly carried out in line with the comprehensive safeguarding policy. We have robust procedures that ensure any issues are dealt with appropriately, and the possession and use of drugs and alcohol on site is prohibited, he continued. All complaints and allegations are thoroughly investigated, working closely with the Police and Safeguarding Board. Richard Kebble, Assistant Director of Adult Services at Worcester County Council, said, Any concerns for adults with care and support needs or concerns regarding the safety of children should be raised with our safeguarding teams. Our priority is the safety of people in the county and any issues that are raised to the county council are investigated. 
Safeguarding concerns should be raised by calling 01905 768053, that's Adult Safeguarding, or 01905 that's Family Front Door Concerns Regarding Children. A council spokesman said the concern is being followed up after it was alerted to them by the Worcester News. A spokesman for the agency said, Unfortunately, due to GDPR compliance and no consent supplied, I am not... I cannot discuss matters on any other employees who have not given us permission to do so. I can confirm that we have no written statements, grievances or complaints, etc. from any of the employees relating to the incident. West Mersia Police was unavailable for comment. My headline is from last Wednesday when the headline reads, I'm appalled that the child killer is free. And there's a picture of Robin Walker who says he's appalled that the triple child killer, David McGreevy, has been released from prison. Conservative MP Robin Walker has condemned the decision to release 68-year-old McGreevy, who killed three young siblings in Worcester in 1973 before impaling their bodies on railings outside their home. Mr Walker said, I'm appalled that he's been released and have been pushing for him not to be released since I became MP. At the time I took office, Mike Foster, the former Labour MP for Worcester, told me that this was such an important issue and to make sure I kept pushing against any decision to be released. We said at the time that if he were to be released, we would have to ensure that there were very strict restrictions placed on him. Mr Walker confirmed that McGreevy will be made to wear an electronic tag and will be living in supervised accommodation. In addition, he's banned from Worcester, as well as the air where Miss Harry and her family live. Mr Walker continued... I have always been of the view that he should never have been released. When he was found guilty in 1973, there was no such thing as a full-life tariff, whereas if he had been convicted of it now, he would have been given one. I am still appalled by the decision, and I am sure the people of Worcester feel the same way, as this is a shocking crime. I have been informed that if he looks even close to breaching his release conditions or going anywhere near the restricted areas, he will be taken back into custody, which is a small consolation. The mother of the three children, Elsie Arry, revealed on Tuesday morning that McGreevy had been released from prison after serving 46 years. Speaking to the BBC, Miss Harry said they said he was going in for life and then they changed it for a minimum of 20 years per murder. But he hasn't done 60 years. He took three lives, not just one or two, but three. Miss Harry said the restrictions on where McGreevy can go gave me a bit of peace of mind but it is still not fair he has been released after what he has done. There's other prisoners that haven't done half as bad as what he did to my children and they haven't been put 
up for parole, so Waters made him able to get parole. McGreevy was lodging with the family in 1973 when he murdered Paul Ralph, aged four, Dawn, aged two, and nine-month-old Samantha at their Worcester home. He had been babysitting the children at their home in Gillam Street when he killed them and impaled their bodies outside on a neighbour's fence. Worcester residents have spoken out against the release of the murderer. On Facebook, Worcester News reader Debbie Evans wrote, I still remember this horrific case so well from my childhood. Can't even look at Gillam Street without thinking about it. I can't believe the monster is out. Another reader, Lisa Lloyd, wrote, It makes no difference whether he's banned from Worcester or not. What he did was cruel beyond belief. I'm not a religious person, but I pray he doesn't re-offend. And there are various pictures of the, the house where it all happened and pictures of him. Right, let's see. Our next headline's from Thursday, June 13th and reads, Schools Fear Over New McDonald's. A school head teacher has spoken out at plans for a McDonald's restaurant in Purdiswell, saying that she fears for the impact on children's health. The Worcester News revealed last week that the fast food chain is planning to turn the former Harvester pub into a takeaway, and the chain has now submitted a full planning application that reveals its plans for the site in Droitwich Road is to be a drive-through restaurant. But residents have already flooded Worcester City Council's consultation group with their objections to the restaurant, which would make it the fourth McDonald's in the city. North Worcester Primary Academy is set to open in September at the former park and ride site in Purdiswell, just a few minutes' walk from the site. And Kate Brunt, the head of the Rivers Trust, which is setting up the school, has spoken out against it. We are incredibly disappointed to learn of these plans, Mrs Brunt said. At North Worcester Primary, we feel very much at the heart of the Purdiswell community. With the UK now the most overweight nation in the whole of Western Europe and the government strategically tackling childhood obesity by controlling the advertising and promotion of fast and junk foods to children, it seems wholly inappropriate to locate a McDonald's restaurant in the immediate proximity of a primary school and the other sporting venues for young people. Whilst we work hard to support and collaborate with other businesses in our community, we cannot ignore the potential impact that a fast food outlet will have on both the welfare of our pupils and young people in the Purdiswell community and also the character of the area. She added she was shocked that there is now a £10.5 million swimming pool, leisure centre, football pitches and new hockey pitches nearby and there was no strategic plan to ensure that any new developments in the area were in line with the existing sporting facilities. The application includes plans for the partial demolition and reconstruction of Purdiswell House, 
plus the installation of a drive-through lane adapting the site to provide car parking and new patio area. In the application, McDonald's say that the design and layout of the proposal is appropriate in the area. This site represents an appropriate location for a drive-through restaurant, which will be well placed to offer refreshments to passing customers and those in the surrounding area. But on the council's website, neighbours are calling for the scheme to be rejected. Nick Hope has said, "Have we gone mad? A fourth McDonald's is definitely not needed, and right opposite a new school, this is totally the wrong message. A bad idea all round." Sarah Ann Kendrick said, I'm sure they think it's shrewd business sense to be walked past every day by hundreds of young children, but surely the city council's job is to protect our primary school pupils from being subjected to such an entirely unnecessary daily temptation. And Suzanne Lawson simply said, With childhood obesity figures being so high, this is lunacy, so close to a new primary school. Residents have until July the 9th to have their say on the application on Worcester, Worcester City Council's website and the application is expected to go before the full planning committee for a final decision. This is from Monday, June the 10th, 2019. <clears throat> Blown down tree narrowly misses home. <clears throat> a tree came crashing down just feet from a home as Storm Miguel swept through the county. The tree was blown down in strong winds near parish councillor Alan Tidy's home in Stuart Rise, Redhill, Worcester. <clears throat> councillor Tidy said, It was 12.30am on Saturday and I was on my way to bed when I heard a loud noise. I looked out the front and saw greenery on the drive. It came down just feet away from a house, cars and a fence. It's a blessing really, no one was injured and who knows what damage would have been caused had it come down in another direction. We have been lucky. Councillor Tidy said he believed the tree roots must have been unstable as its roots were rotted. Stuart Rise is a cul-de-sac, so there was eight of us blocked in here. Highways did a good job. They were quick to come up and were cut up and taken away this afternoon. Police seized bikes from youths who were nearly hit by a bus and were then seen weaving in and out of traffic. The bikes were seized on June the 8th as part of a wider operation by West Mersia Police. It comes after complaints about youths cycling antisocially in the city and pulling wheelies and near, near pedestrians in cars. PCSO Harley Youngs said, On Saturday, June the 8th, four young people were seen acting antisocially on pedal bikes. The first three had been seen weaving in and out of traffic, cycling up and down the one-way system on Angel Street and the surrounding road network, this type of behaviour can put themselves and other road users in potential danger. It's believed that the fourth young man who observed pulling a wheelie down the cross, going through a red light and potentially putting himself and others in danger. We have, sub sub sorry, we have subsequently acted on the information we've received and seized all four pedal cycles to reduce the potential harm to themselves and others. This seizure was the first of more planned operations that will be taking place in Worcester City Centre with plain clothes and uniformed officers monitoring and recording this kind of behaviour. And PCSO Young said they will also be taking positive action against any person caught acting in such a manner. 
The operation was set up by the Cathedral Ward local policing team and assisted by special constables and the St. John's and Bedwardine Safer Neighbourhood team. In May, Worcester resident Paul Garrity called for action after seeing teenagers riding their bikes in the road, saying one of them could be killed in the process. In response, 50 teenagers staged a ride-out to show that those who, who were doing the wheelies in the road were a small minority. Worcester News readers debated the issue on Facebook with one user, Sam Dewson, saying, They're kids. Let them carry on. It wasn't a problem years ago. Why now? It's not an offence, is it? Kids being kids. If they fall off or have a near miss, that's how we all learnt. Another reader, Anya Wright, said, I've frequently seen this in the city centre, holding up traffic and putting themselves and drivers at risk. Pleased they've been caught, this hobby could easily be carried out in a park instead. Now, this piece was in the paper last Wednesday, the 12th of June. Tributes have been paid to a well-respected city councillor who died suddenly aged 60. Councillor Stuart Denley Maxwell, who was re-elected last year, having represented Claines in the late 80s and early 90s, died suddenly on Monday, June the 10th. Worcester City Council colleagues paid tribute to, to Councillor Denley Maxwell, who was well-liked and respected by members across the political divide. Councillor Mark Bayliss, leader of the City Council, said it's absolutely terrible news to lose Stuart. He was a valued and respected member of the Council and was well-liked by colleagues right across the Council, not just on the Conservative side. Obviously, he had served the City some years ago and had come back and he was making a real difference to the way we worked. It's a terrible shame that his life has been cut short, I will miss him greatly. He was a great colleague. Councillor Denley Maxwell served two terms representing Claines on Worcester City Council. He was elected in 1988 and held the seat until 1994 when he stood down because of work and family commitments. He was re-elected in 2018. Councillor Denley Maxwell's family have local connections stretching back many years. Both his father and grandfather were parish priests in the city, while his mother was a magistrate in the city for 25 years. His great-great-grandfather was John Corbett, who was known as the Salt King and was MP for Droitwich in the 1870s. A portrait of another ancestor... Sir John Packington is displayed in the Guildhall in Worcester. Councillor James Stanley, who represented Claines along with Councillor Denley Maxwell, said for me he was a man who was first and foremost a friend as well as a colleague. Stuart was somebody who, in a world where politics has become quite polarised due to his many qualities, his sense of humour his wisdom and his gentleness could work across the political boundaries. As you could see from many of the colleagues from different parties who were very quick to pay tribute to Stuart was a true testament to the man. I think his memory in Worcester will live on for many a year.
Councillor Andy Stafford, who also worked alongside Councillor Denley Maxwell, representing Clains, said, I'm shocked and deeply upset by Stuart's sudden passing and I will miss him very much. We worked closely together on his election campaign and as ward colleagues. He was always positive, kind and compassionate. Stuart had so much more to give to Worcester he was passionate without tackling homeless, about tackling homelessness and was hoping to serve as a future mayor. Stuart was a successful businessman. He had a loving family. He will be missed by his many friends across the city. And my heart goes out to Cecilia and his family. Councillor Denley Maxwell was due to attend a meeting of the Council's Licensing and Environmental Health Committee on Monday, June the 10th. The meeting was postponed for other news of his death. Councillor Allard Detter, Mayor of Worcester, paid tribute to a dear friend who had taken great pleasure in nominating him for the role less than a month ago. He said Stuart was a very dear friend of mine. When I heard the news, I was just stunned and shocked. I'd only just seen him on Saturday. It's really, really sad. I must send all my condolences to the family. A teenager who was dramatically airlifted off a road bridge after being struck by a car is now back at home. Ryan Robbins, aged 13, was rushed to hospital on May 26th with a fractured skull and bruising on the brain after the collision just off the Holtfleet Bridge. His dad, Brian, described him as one lucky lad. After his son was released from intensive care and into a regular ward at the Birmingham Children's Hospital just a couple of days later, he was then allowed to go home on Monday evening though doctors have warned him off sporting activities for a couple of years while he recovers. He really can't do anything that will move his head too much, which includes all the sports for a couple of years, said his father. The boy's bedroom has been moved downstairs at the family home in Rowley Regis, and at the moment he's unable to go to school. Father added, I'm waiting for confirmation from the hospital, but he'll probably be off school until next term after the summer. His friends have started to come and see him because he really can't leave the house at the moment. As well as the hairline fracture to the skull and bruising of the brain, Ryan also has a right shoulder fracture and lots of other cuts and bruises. And last week the doctors discovered that he also had a fractured calf bone. Mr Robbins said, well, he's a lot of appointments coming up at doctors and hospital in the near future but he'll just, he'll just get on with it. He's totally with you now. Sometimes it takes him a few seconds to respond if you speak to him, but that's to be expected. Ryan's mum, Michelle, stayed with him each night during his stay in hospital while Mr Robbins visited him most days. He added he was very sleepy until last Tuesday, May 28th. That's when they found the broken fibula, but by Saturday... He was more himself. He then became restless and wanted to know when he could go home, which doctors said was a very good sign. At the time of the incident, Ryan, his parents and sister, Sarah Lou, were staying at their caravan at the Holtfleet Farm Caravan Park. 
Police have put out an appeal for dashcam footage of the incident which involved a maroon Mini Cooper on the A4133 at around 4.45pm. Calls should be to 101 and quote incident number 0493S. Drug fear near school. A mum is outraged after discovering empty drug bags near to where her children go to school. Mother of two, Kirsty Phillips, aged 37, of Fielden Row, a mile from the school, said, I found around 15 little bags with skulls printed on them and I first thought it might be to do with a children's toy, but a friend told me it's what drugs are kept in. The bags are found were empty but could have contained anything and a kid could pick it up. Anything could have happened. PCSO David Anderson of the Warned and Safer Neighbourhood team said, This particular incident hasn't been reported to the policing team. I believe this is an isolated incident, and if members of the public find any more empty bags, call 101. Empty drug bags have also been found in the car park of the Lippard Grange pub on Anchorage Green, very near to the school. A spokeswoman for Mitchell and Butler's, Sally Elson, which owns and runs the pub, says, We take our responsibility as a licence holder very seriously and operate a zero-tolerance policy to drugs. We complete daily checks of the car park every morning and also keep our external lighting on throughout the night as an added deterrent. PCSO Anderson says, At the end of the day, I was not aware of this issue. It's up to the pub to how they deal with the empty bags as a licensed premises. If the issue had been reported, I would have had an informal chat with the pub manager as to how to manage the situation. Warden resident Dean Bowkett, 51, said, I've noticed an issue with teenagers hanging around. What about if the bags are not empty and a child puts the contents in its mouth? Warden councillor Andy Roberts said, This issue hasn't been reported to me, but I know we get cannabis users in the area outside of school time. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to know they are smoking cannabis at the Lippard Grange local nature reserve. I'm worried as I'm a governor at Lippard Grange Primary School and I live very near to the site so I'm concerned on all levels. Lippard Grange Primary School was unavailable for comment. An engineer in the nuclear industry and a cyber security expert are two Worcestershire people who have been recognised in the Queen's Birthday Honours. Dr Emma Philpot, age 48, Chief Executive of Malvern-based business IASME, has been given an MBE for her contribution to cyber security. And Stuart Crooks, who lives at Lower Broadheath, has been awarded the CBE in recognition of his work as managing director of Hinkley Point C, a four, uh, sorry, a twenty billion pound nuclear power station currently being built. Dr. Phil Potts award is a recognition of her advocacy of affordable cyber security for all. Her leadership has helped enhance the security for thousands of organizations, including small businesses which can find cyber security daunting. She is also founder of the UK Cyber Security Forum, which began with the Malvern Cyber Security Cluster in 2011. She said, I was amazed, surprised and delighted to be awarded this honour. It may be me who comes into the office with bright ideas for this and that, but it's my team that has to make them real, and the honour is just as much for them as for me. Mr Crooks, 54, was born in Wigan and began his career as a 16-year-old electrical apprentice. He joined the nuclear industry after completing his apprenticeship at Haysham Power Station in Lancashire, 
where he progressed through various engineering roles. He was subsequently Deputy Director of Dungeness B and Director of Hartlepool Power Stations and Hinkley Point C Project, the first new nuclear power station to be built in the UK is over 20 years, sorry, in over 20 years, is one of the largest engineering projects to be carried out in Europe in recent years. He said, this award is really recognition of the support I have had from my family, my wife, children and grandchildren, and from my parents who always encourage me in my career. Their support has made everything possible that I have achieved in my career. A new documentary series on BBC is set to feature West Mercia police officers. Critical Incidents is a new 10-part documentary series about assaults on emergency service workers and will feature staff from across the public sector, including local officers. One of the programmes features PC Lloyd Stone, he was assaulted on duty in Bromsgrove in August last year. The assault left PC Stone with an injury to his leg, which required him to have several months off work. Police and Crime Commissioner John Crampton said, "I'm glad, I'm grateful to PC Lloyd Stone for his bravery in telling his story." and to the BBC for highlighting the impact that these assaults can have, not just on the person injured, but on their loved ones and colleagues. The programme featuring PC Stone and his colleagues will be on BBC One tomorrow, June the 13th at 9.15am. Chief Superintendent Tom Harding said, What happened to Lloyd? is sadly another example of how our officers, who come to work every day to serve their local communities, put others before themselves. Lloyd, like all West Mercia police officers, goes into situations with the view that public safety comes first. However, with this professional and compassionate attitude does come some risk. When this happens, West Mercia Police seek to provide continuous welfare support and consider the officer's health and well-being as our priority. The effect of assaults on police officers and staff doesn't just mean that they're physically hurt and may be unable to work, but the injury affects home and family life too and can have an impact on their mental health. Our seven-point plan exists to support police officers and staff who are assaulted and staff who are assaulted in the course of their duty and all officers or staff assaulted will always be treated as victims. Worcester City Council is being urged to show a similar level of support for its homeless football club as it has for a new international standard hockey facility. The Council's Policy and Resources Committee has backed a 2.1 million loan and a 30-year lease at a peppercorn rent for a joint venture between RGS Worcester and Worcester Hockey Club. The proposals for the old porcelain ground 
which is less than one mile from the site proposed for the City Football Club's new ground at Purdiswell, as the crow flies, that is still subject to planning. The Football Club's Supporters Trust has got planning permission for Purdiswell that runs through till September 2021, having successfully appealed against the Council's decision to reject it twice. But the battle to gain access to the City Council-owned site is proving to be another matter, with councillors citing traffic issues and objections from local residents. The Worcester City Club's chairman, Steve Good, was an interested onlooker at Tuesday's public meeting, which saw the joint venture for the hockey proposal get the green light. He did opt to not to speak when invited to. The club, though, has since released a statement with Mr Good declining to comment further other than to confirm that the city would not be asking the council for financial support towards the estimated two and a half million costs of its plans. The statement went on. It is great to see the council being so supportive in a new sports facility for the city. Whilst there has been some criticism... I welcome this new scheme, which adds another sporting activity to the emerging sports village at Purdiswell. I attended the meeting, and whilst it's a real shame that a full-size football pitch and a junior pitch will be lost as a result of this development, the report to the Policy and Resources Committee does reinforce the Council's commitment to a football club at Purdiswell, where the club is well-placed to deliver these new community facilities. Discussions are ongoing with council members regarding the Purdiswell scheme. We would welcome a similar level of support for the football facility as they are offering in this joint venture for the hockey, because after all, football is our national sport. Mr Good is part of the fan-led board which took charge at City in August 2018, with shareholders ratifying a community-owned model in March. The club has been ground-sharing out of the city since 2013, when the original ground on St George's Lane was sold to developers, and it has since voluntarily dropped three levels to cut costs. A pensioner claims the bus service around her area is disgusting and this has resulted in her ill husband missing doctor's appointments. Gwen Hughes of Norwich Road in Ronxwood claims the bus she catches is continuously late or does not show up, affecting her 70-year-old husband, Martin. First Bus has claimed congestion on the hospital site and says a lack of enforcement of bus lanes has not helped and has asked Worcestershire County Council and the Acute Trust to deal with matters. Mrs Hughes says, I feel angry. It's a disgusting service and the buses are so regular. My husband has missed two of his doctor's appointments because the bus hasn't turned up. My husband my husband is an ill man. He needs injections every fortnight, so it's important he makes his appointments. He can't miss them. Mrs Hughes says the bus timetable shows the buses should run every 15 minutes. However, she claims that she has waited hours before. She added sometimes the bus does not come for hours. It seems to, be, seems to completely miss us. We sometimes have to walk up the hill to catch a bus from Newtown Road or catch a taxi. Me and my husband have got problems with our legs, so we struggle to walk far. 
Rob Hughes, head of operations at First Worcester, said, We apologise for any inconvenience caused with the reliability of our routes 38 and 38X, but since the middle of last year, the punctuality and reliability statistics for these two routes have shown a worrying decline. Considerable and unpredictable congestion on the hospital site, lack of enforcement by the local authority of the bus lanes on Newtown Road and Lowesmore, and lengthy delays at the foot of Rainbow Hill have contributed to a most unacceptable quality of service. We are urging the local authorities to deal quickly with these matters and for the NHS to allow our buses unrestricted and free-flowing access around the hospital. These seem like reasonable requests to us on behalf of the many passengers who rely on these routes and rightly expect a reliable service. Failure to do so will cause a question mark to be raised over the future operation of the service. Councillor Alan Amos, Councillor Cabinet Member with responsibility for highways at Worcestershire County Council, said, We have already been discussing these issues with First Bus and are working with them to deal with the matters raised. A spokesperson for Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust said, Every effort is made to ease traffic congestion and keep traffic flowing through our sites. We recognise that this can be difficult during peak times and apologise for any inconvenience this may cause. A couple from Worcester have recently completed their 26th hot air balloon flight. Karen and Phil Hill took their first hot air balloon flight back in 1998 when Mr Hill celebrated his 50th birthday. Since then, ballooning has become a real passion for the couple. Their shared love of ballooning was also a great help to Mrs Hill when she was diagnosed with cancer 10 years ago. As she recalls, the thought of returning to the basket motivated her to to keep going as she underwent treatment for the disease. For their 26th flight, the couple flew in the Virgin Balloon, their 22nd flight with the company. Mrs Hill said, We like to fly either from Worcester Racecourse or from Chelsea Walsh, as I enjoy seeing familiar landmarks from above. The couple have also taken part in two balloon fiestas so far. They participated in the biggest event of its type in the world, the Albuquerque International Balloon Fiesta in New Mexico, USA, which attracts 600 balloons a year and up to 100,000 spectators. And more recently, they took part in the Telford Balloon Fiesta, one of the UK's top five ballooning events, with over 30,000 people attending. Experienced balloon passengers Mr and Mrs Hill say they enjoy the adventure provided by ballooning once up in the air. Moved by winds and air currents high above the ground, each flight will follow its own course on the day, tinging with elements of surprise. Mr Hill said, I find balloon flights so appealing as one gently and steadily rises up into the sky, then flying along and not knowing where we will be going but the sense of freedom. It's such a beautiful, calm way of travelling and the surprise of where the flight will end. For 22 of their 26 flights, the couple have chosen Virgin balloons to transport them. Mrs Hill said the Virgin pilots are wonderful and I trust them to give us a super experience. As the couple intend to continue with the flying that have proved so fascinating with the ballooning trip to Tuscany in Italy in the offing. I have a piece about food rescue. And this is uh, from Justin Kirby on Green Matters. He said, I wrote in May that the food supply chain uses a lot of energy and therefore is responsible for a big slice of the UK's carbon emissions. 
If a pound of strawberries, which equates to one kilogram of CO2, goes past its best before date and gets binned, it is sad because despite not being eaten, the CO2 is still now in the sky. Once buried in landfill, those strawberries will decompose, but will release methane, which is a much more effective greenhouse gas than CO2, so food waste is still a big deal. Millions of tonnes across the UK are wasted within the farms, processing, and once taken home from the shop. The supermarkets themselves send some to landfill, although they are redistributing more than before. Redistribution of food from supermarkets has increased by 27,000 tonnes from 2015 to 2018, and that's the equivalent of additional 65 million meals, with a value of £81 million. There is still the potential for another 190,000 tonnes a year, still going to landfill, which could be redistributed. Figures are from the rep. Org UK. Worcester Food Rescue has been going two years now. We now do four Waitrose, three Tesco's and three Potomanger collections a week and distribute to a network of charities in the city. We have made 450 collections in the last year, saving over 9,000 kilograms of food, which amounts to over 10,000 meals and a CO2 saving of 22,610 kilograms. Sometimes the supermarkets give us non-food items, such as 2,000 nappies, which we also pass on to charities, as it is not only the production and waste of food that costs CO2. If you would like to help out or learn more about this, please look at the webpage oldnorthstables.org.uk forward slash Worcester Food Rescue forward slash for more details. Now more news of our city council's efforts to combat the ongoing congestion problems around our city. A new pedestrian crossing has finally been installed on one of the city's most frustrating roads as the council now prepares to carry out more congestion-busting work on another busy junction. The new signal, Control Crossing in Croft Road, has replaced the old zebra crossing, which caused many drivers to fall victim to long and frequent interruptions in both directions. The congested crossing near the Hive, which has been previously dubbed Worcester's most hated, sees around 2,000 pedestrians and 200 cyclists crossing it on an average every day. The entrance to the cattle market car park has also been reworked in an attempt to cut the congestion. And new works to tackle congestion at Sidbury will start on June the 17th. This work on the busy city junction will also see a new signal control crossing and some resurfacing. Councillor Alan Amos, the Cabinet Member for Highways, said that tackling congestion was one of his biggest priorities 
and these works will also improve pedestrian safety. He added, we've spent nearly £12 million on congestion-busting measures because it's one of our biggest problems. It is big, and we're very aware of it. He added that the Council's Highways Department was being very careful to minimise disruption. Obviously, there's got to be some disruption, but the project is very important for tackling congestion and ensuring pedestrian safety. New traffic signals will be installed at the Sidbury and City Walls Road junction, replacing the current 40-year-old signals. There will be a new pedestrian crossing installed across Commandery Road at its junction with Sidbury. He added that most of these works will be carried out during the summer school holidays to minimise disruption. There will be a number of single-lane closures throughout the whole area, and some overnight closures are also planned, but no specific dates could yet be provided. There will be some additional tree planting taking place in the autumn, and the roads there will also be completely resurfaced resurfaced at the end of August and early September. These improvements have been made possible because of a successful 3.2 million bid by the Council to the Department for Transport, and this fund is even is earmarked to councils to tackle congestion and boost productivity on their roads. Free TV licence fees for over 75s are to be means-tested, the BBC has announced. Households without someone who receives pension credit will now have to pay for the licence. BBC Director-General Tony Hall says the move was not an easy decision. From June 2020, around 3.7 million households, which previously received a free licence, will now have to pay for one. It is thought 1.5 million households will be eligible for the free licence under the new scheme, which will cost the BBC around £250 million by 2021-2022, depending on the take-up. Licence fees were being reviewed by the BBC, with the full cost of concession due to, the, due to be passed to the corporation from government in June 2020. Facing financial pressures and attempting to streamline, the BBC has said previously that shouldering the burden of free licences would fundamentally change the broadcaster. The threat of scrapping the free TV licence drew criticism from campaigners who stress its importance for the elderly. This is a story of the uh, Malvern Mayor, but I think it's um, very pertinent to, to us. During the last of her three years as Mayor of Malvern, Councillor Cynthia Palmer raised £7,905 for Site Concern Worcestershire. This is a town council record for the amount collected in one year and was raised through a variety of events, including a sponsored walk across the hills, the Mayor's Bonanza, and collections at Bands in the Park concerts. Councillor Palmer said, I am delighted with the amount we have raised for Site Concern Worcestershire. I would like to say a huge thank you to the residents of Malvern, whose incredible generosity has made this happen. Of course, I wouldn't have done this without the continued support from the amazing staff and volunteers at Site Concern and all the staff at Malvern Town Council. Penny Weir, fundraising officer of Site Concern Worcestershire, said, This has been a great pleasure working with the Mayor and the Council staff. I've got another piece about Site Loft here. Uh, community organisations across Worcestershire have been awarded over £1.3 million in national lottery funding. 
The money raised by players for good causes is being distributed to the National Lottery Community Fund. In total, 38 community projects across the county are receiving a share, with Worcester, Bromsgrove and Kidderminster organisations among them. One of the projects celebrated is Site Concern Worcester, Worcestershire, based in Worcester, which has been awarded more than 300, I think it's 380,000 pounds. The funding will provide a range of information, advice and support to people with sight loss. This will empower people who are blind and partially sighted to lead independent lives building their confidence that they can meet new friends and play an active role in the community. Thanks to £10,000, Jewelry Quarter Boxing will develop a boxing club in Bromsgrove for young people with the aim of reducing antisocial behaviour in the area. This will create an exciting space for young people to enjoy, improving their sense of belonging to the community. Mentoring and coaching will also be provided, some from local police officers, which will break down barriers and build relationships between young people and authority figures. Barrington Court Social Fund in Kidderminster has been awarded 8500 to help purchase a minibus for older people who live in the 100 apartments of Barrington Court. Following a survey, the residents, many of whom have mobility issues, ask for a minibus to help them to go shopping to the theatre or for lunches together. Matt Poole, who's Senior Head of Regional Funding for the Midlands at the National Lottery Community Fund, said National Lottery money continued to change the lives of thousands of people across the UK. From community-led projects that reduce loneliness and isolation to those supporting young people to overcome modern-day challenges, this quarter's funding has been awarded to groups with the ideas, knowledge and passion to empower their community to thrive. Now we have a sports report. Not a very inspiring one as far as our local cricket team is concerned. However, Lancashire's hopes of securing a substantial first inning lead over Worcestershire were halted by the weather on day three of the county championship match at New Road. But an unbeaten half-century from Liam Livingston did strengthen the visitors' position. Lancashire are the Division Two leaders, but they had to kick their heels in frustration for nearly two days after bowling out Worcestershire for only 98 on the opening day, which saw England's James Anderson claiming four wickets for 24 and his fellow Seymour Graham Onions four for 55. When the action finally resumed at 2.10pm last Wednesday, Lancashire recovered from a shaky start to reach 110 for three, with Livingston dominating an unbroken fourth-wicket stand of 78 with Hafseed Hamid. But Badlight halted play just two overs after tea. Play had finally got underway at 2.10pm 
p.m., the first action since 2.30 p.m. on the first day, and more than 1,100 gallons of water had been pumped off the outfield after more heavy overnight rain. Our home side needed to make early inroads after being bowled out so cheaply, and club captain Joe Leach struck in his third over when he trapped Keaton Jennings for only six LBW. Alex Davis had been restored to the side recently and looked in good form, cut Charlie Morris for excessive boundaries, and then picked up two more fours to third man in the next over from Morris. But then the introduction of Wayne Parnell into the attack brought about a double breakthrough with successive balls in his very first over. Davis, on 24, went for a drive and inside-edged the delivery from the left-arm seamer onto his back pad and then through to Ben Cox. And the very next ball, Parnell picked up another scalp when Rob Jones pushed forward, beaten by the ball, swinging away and hitting his off stump. The South African seamer was on his return from injury after suffering a hamstring injury last month and his opening spell had the very encouraging figures of seven overs, one maiden, two for 18. Livingstone, having survived the hat-trick ball, began to flourish. He pulled a delivery from deputant Adam Fitch for four, after he had replaced Joe Leach, who had good figures of seven overs, three maidens, one for ten. But then Livingstone took a shine to the bowling, especially that of Ed Barnard, he cut him for four in the same over, hoisted him over mid-wicket for six, and the 50 stand between the two batsmen came up in 92 balls. Young Finch had been given an official warning by umpire Mark Newell for running on the pitch and was replaced in the attack after an initial four-over spell. Livingston completed his 50 shortly after tea, and his 68-ball knock by then had contained eight fours and one six. And his 50 continues his run of good form as he scored a century against us, against Lancashire last week, sorry, against Leicestershire last week. But after reaching his 50, the players were once again forced off as bad light put an end to the day's play. We are looking to avoid a third straight defeat in this league, having gone down to Middlesex and Lancashire up north in recent weeks. Fitness instructors will be offering free box fit sessions to the public to give back to the community. Sean LaCroix and Daryl Swallow, both from Worcester, have organised free fitness classes with the aim to provide an exercise hub for those who cannot afford lessons. Mr LaCroix, aged 35, said... Many people cannot afford classes, so we want to offer these lessons to give everybody a chance. It doesn't matter if you never boxed before, as everybody has to start from somewhere. The exercise sessions, Fitness in the Park, will be held at Brickfields Park every Thursday from 7.30pm to 8.30pm. After each weekly session, a collection plate will go around where individuals will have the option to donate to the chosen charity for that week. Mr LaCroix said... We want to do a bit for charity and raise funds for local causes. We aim to help the community by building people's confidence, provide a social space and, of course, get them free classes to get fit. The sessions will include a combination of boxing drills, incorporating pads and gloves with high-intensity interval training. Mr LaCroix, 
who has been coaching boxing for two years, is a certified instructor and was trained at Hatton Academy, which is a course for boxing for fitness. He said, it has, been quite a, it has had quite a bit of interest already. We put on a taster session last week and there was a decent turnout. It was fun and everyone enjoyed it. The sessions start today, June 13th, and all abilities and ages are welcome to attend. For more information on fitness in the park, visit facebook.com forward slash fitness 109. The Seven Valley Railway will mark 75 years since D-Day during its hugely popular step back to the 40s weekends on June the 29th, 30th and July the 6th and 7th. There will be lots to see and do along the line, plus specific events tying in with the 75th anniversary of the Normandy landings. Evening big band shows also take place on both Saturdays. Kidderminster Station will host thrilling firefighting reenactments, vehicle displays, hairdresser, Red Cross, dispensary shop, vintage bus rides, live music from the Kalamazoo Band, replica air raid shelters, ARP Post and Tobacconist. To tie in with D-Day 75, people can visit the 40s Reset Centre. Closing ceremonies featuring World War II veterans will be held on both Sundays to both Sundays to book tickets and far more information on oncoming upcoming events and activities the SVR visit www.svr.co.uk or call 01562757900 or visit Seven Valley Railway families or official site Facebook pages Here's a piece about mental health for diabetics. People in Worcestershire living with diabetes are being invited to access a group therapy course aimed at supporting the mental health effects of the condition. Worcestershire Healthy Minds supports people aged 16 and over experiencing more common mental health conditions like stress, anxiety or low mood. The service also provides a range of group therapy courses, including Living Well with Diabetes, delivered weekly from venues across Worcestershire. It is an educational course providing tools to help manage the mental health effects of diabetes to help people feel happier, healthier and more in control of their life. This week is National Diabetes Week and it is estimated that more people than ever before have diabetes in the UK and the number of people diagnosed with diabetes has doubled in the last 20 years. Living with diabetes is tough and managing it is down to the person who is living with it. The demands of managing diabetes and self Medicating have a huge impact on someone's life. Estelle Ellis from Worcestershire Healthy Minds said having a long-term condition such as diabetes can affect all areas of your life, not just physical health. The Living Well with Diabetes course looks at how our thoughts and behaviour affect the way we both physically and feel emotionally. Whether you have just been diagnosed with diabetes or have been living with it for a while, it can have a huge effect on day-to-day life. 
The course lasts for six weeks, and there are sessions starting in Worcester, Redditch and Bromsgrove over the next few months. For more information on the course and other support provided by Worcestershire Healthy Minds, visit nowwearstalking.nhs.uk. Our next item relates to what is undoubtedly an epic challenge. A mum has set herself a goal of running 52 miles in 24 hours with the aim of raising money for charity in honour of her terminally ill father-in-law. Carly Barnes from Worcester will take part in Race for the Tower, an ultra-marathon event, which means running 52 miles from the depths of Gloucestershire up to the Broadway Tower in the Cotswolds. It's a two-day event, although Mrs Barnes hopes to complete this ultra-marathon in a day. The mum of two, aged 37, said, Look, I've got 24 hours. If I can complete it by midnight, I'll be over the moon. I wanted to do this to test my patience and determination. I've learnt so much about myself doing it. I'm doing this challenge for personal reasons and to show my young girls anything is possible if you put in the work. I've had so much fun training. It doesn't matter what size you are, how old you are. Put on your running shoes and train hard. You can do it. Before she began her intense training last January, the furthest she had run was about 10 kilometres. She'd originally started running a mile twice a week and eventually built up her stamina by gradually doing longer distances. But to date, the furthest she's managed is the traditional marathon of 26 miles. She's raising money for four charities... Hope for Tomorrow, Acorns Worcester, Children with Cancer and Mind, all of whom have a personal meaning to her. She says her biggest inspiration is her father-in-law, Stephen Cook, who has got incurable cancer. She said Steve has the most amazing positive attitude, he's never once complained about the situation, never lets it consume him and he's my biggest inspiration for this run. Mr Cook and his wife Jackie are members of the amateur dramatic Worcester theatre scene have been involved with it for over 30 years. Mrs Barnes added that during this ultramarathon there are seven pit stops along the way for contestants to enjoy a snack. They're very good snacks, she said. They aren't just sweets. There'll be chicken fajitas, tea, soup and watermelon. It's really a running picnic. <laughs> For donations towards her causes, visit uk.virginmoneygiving.com slash dash ultra A proposal has been drawn up to create parking outside a city fish and chip shop after customers complained they were being fined while picking up their takeaways. Councillor Richard Udall said the parking restrictions outside St John's Fish Bar led to customers parking illegally on yellow lines during the day, which resulted in them getting tickets while buying their food. Councillor Udall, who represents St John's Ward, said, I had received more than one complaint from customers of the chip shop about getting parking tickets. Following the issue, Councillor Udall wrote to the County Council's Highways Department proposing for available parking spaces for the shop's customers. 
Worcestershire County Council has put forward a proposal which will allow three spaces for cars to park for 45 minutes outside the takeaway in Lambert Road. The proposal is open for public consultation for people to either support or object to the idea. Councillor Udall said, All that's happened is a consequence of my intervention. It's a step closer to supporting the businesses and helping its customers. I strongly believe that as long as the parking isn't affecting road safety or road users, then there is very little reason to object. The proposal will enable customers to park outside the shop during lunchtime trade without disturbing residents in Lambert Road. In a tweet, Councillor Udall said, Earlier this year I heard of residents receiving parking tickets when buying fish and chips in Lambert Road. I promised to help. A spokesperson for Worcestershire County Council said, We can confirm that we have provided a proposal to Councillor Udall and this will now go through our normal consultation process. This was uh, Saturday, June the 8th, about Storm Miguel. Worcestershire was battered by heavy rain and wind yesterday, which was Saturday, as Storm Miguel arrived and more wild weather has been forecast for today. Forecasters were predicting the storm would cause chaos with the Met Office issuing yellow weather warnings for thunderstorms and rain. Yesterday there was some localised flooding in the county, including on the A4103. Police warned drivers to be careful in the wet weather after a lane was blocked for a short period on the M5 between Junction 5 in Droitwich and Junction 6 in Worcester on Friday afternoon. The thunderstorm warning was heavy thundery showers may cause some travel disruption. Some flooding of a few homes and businesses likely, leading to some damage to buildings or structures. Spray and flooding on roads probably makes journey times longer. Bus and train services probably affected with journey times taking longer. Some interruption to power supplies and other services likely. The forecast was for a windy night into the early hours of this morning with showers. But the good news is the forecast looks to be brighter after 1pm today with temperatures getting up to 15 degrees centigrade and then reaching 17 by on Sunday. West Mercia police tweeted, please remember to slow down and allow extra braking distance in wet conditions when driving. Storm Miguel caused the deaths of three people on a rescue ship in the Atlantic off the French coast. Winds of 80 miles per hour were recorded in some parts. The storm is unusual, coming at the start of the summer tourist season. A number of flood warnings were also issued across the country but the River Severn and River Avon were not included. However, the rivers were identified as having a high flood risk. I have a picture of a beauty queen who's a student from University of Worcester, and she's celebrating reaching the final <clears throat> of the Miss England competition for 2019. Isabel Lyons, who's 18, was chosen at the West Midlands Regional Final for the competition, which was held on June the 2nd. Miss Joan Lyons won the Publicity Queen Award and finished in the top five for Miss Birmingham, gaining places in the finals. The 11 semi-finalists participated in an interview, an ethical fashion catwalk and a little black dress round and raised over £7,000 for suicide charity Papyrus. <coughs> Miss Lyons said, I'm over the moon with getting to the final, as I've waited for so long. I am so excited, I almost can't put it into words. 
The final is from July 31st to August the 1st. We don't know the venue yet, but it will be really exciting to be up against some real tough competition from across the country. There are 50 finalists from across the country who will compete in the overall Miss England finals with more than 50,000 applications received. In the final, the contestants will be competing for a spot in the top 20, decided on by performance in 11 different award categories, with the rest being chosen by the judges. Miss Lyons, who is studying PE and sports coaching science, has been involved with Miss England competition since she was 16, reaching the Miss Worcestershire top five in 2017, also being named Miss Sportswoman Worcestershire and Miss Eco Worcestershire. She has also been an active fundraiser for Papyrus, raising over £500 when she climbed the Morven Hills blindfolded an honor, in honour of a school friend who had died. A local policeman who appeared on the TV show Motorway Cops has now received a final written warning following a public misconduct hearing. The hearing heard that PC Angus Nairn used an official computer to snoop on a colleague's car. PC Angus Nairn has completed 18 years service as a constable and was most recently based in the local policing HQ at Hindlip. He was a familiar face on the Midlands Road Network following appearances on the popular television show Motorway Cops, which had a seven-year run from 2008 to 2015, and has also been very much involved in the organisation of the Throckmorton Air Show. The three-day hearing concluded on Wednesday after taking place at the force headquarters and was conducted by Mr Harry Ireland, an independent, legally qualified chairman. Follows investigations by the Professional Standards Department of Warwickshire Police and West Mercia Police. The panel reviewed three allegations to assess whether PC Nairn had breached the standards of professional behaviour. It was alleged that on May the 3rd, 2017, he used a computer to carry out a search that was not for an appropriate policing purpose and was carried out in breach of data protection policy. The panel determined that that particular allegation, allegation was proven. Two other allegations were found not proven. Superintendent Helena Bennett head of the Professional Standards Department, said the misconduct hearing found that the behaviour of Police Constable Angus Nairn did breach the standards of professional behaviour in relation to orders and instructions, confidentiality and discreditable conduct. His actions did amount to gross misconduct. It is for this reason that he received a final written warning. The outcome of the misconduct hearing is subject to the normal appeals process. As the nation marks the 75th anniversary of D-Day, when 2,700 British soldiers were killed on June 6, 1944, 
It's a sobering thought that at the Battle of Worcester on September the 3rd, 1651, more than 3,200 combatants died in a single day. In addition, thousands more were wounded, disabled or died later of their injuries. For weeks, if not months, the bodies of the dead lay festering around the faithful city, bringing disease and infection. The English Civil War may have been over, but the cost of the conflict was certainly not. On Thursday, June 20th, the Battle of Worcester Society will hold a talk in the commandery by Dr Ismili Pels of Leicester University titled Civil War Petitions Stories of Maimed Soldiers, War Widows and the Human Cost of War. Dr Pels is a postdoctorate research fellow and a manager of the project Welfare, Conflict and Memory During the English Civil War. BOWS Chairman Richard Shaw says, More than 84,000 soldiers were killed during the nine years of the Civil War and it's estimated that over 100,000 men, women and children died of war-related diseases and starvation. How and where the massive number of Civil War dead were buried has long intrigued historians, but there appears no definitive answer. Writing on an internet blog, history student Sarah Taylor, who has researched the subject, says, Overall, the evidence is very patchy. Certainly, some of the dead were buried in churches following a battle, while others seem to have been buried on the battlefield. It's not certain that both of these things occurred in all battles, though. The character or nature of a battle would certainly have an impact. Much of the Battle of Worcester, for example, was fought in the town, while church records note that lots of those who were killed in the town were those buried in churches in the town, so the location of a battle may have had an influence on where the dead were buried, as might the number of bodies. If there were lots, then we might expect more of the dead to be buried on the battlefield, simply because it was too difficult to move so many bodies to a church which, have not, which would have not have had the space anyway. Sadly, the lack of detail in the historical sources makes it difficult to say much and it seems only with more archaeological finds will we truly start to understand where the dead were buried and why. While a fellow blogger adds, the winners would most likely have buried their own dead in mass graves. They would have also collected up all the weapons and serviceable clothing from the dead on the loser's side. Whether or not the loser's dead were buried would be left to any survivors. If not, the dead and wounded sometimes would just be left to rot until locals decided to do something about it, usually after the wildlife had their share and the stench had died down. Dr Pell's talk begins at 7pm on Thursday, June 20th, and the Commandery Cafe will be open until then. Tickets are £7 for adults, £5 for Battle of Worcester Society members and £3 for students. They can be obtained from the Tourist Information Centre at the Guildhall, the Commandery Shop, online at the Battle of Worcester Society.org or on the door on the night. And that nearly brings us to the end. Um, just to wish uh, Ruth Hill a very happy birthday for the 17th, Roy Knight for the 18th, Janet Weaver for the 20th, and Vera Twinbarrow for the 20th also. Many happy returns to you. If there's anybody that we've missed out, please let us know. We'd love to wish you a happy birthday. Emergency phone numbers for out-of-hours medical assistance, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. is 0300-123-3211 and the NHS number for non-emergency help is 111. Malvern Theatre telephone number 01684-892277. Worcester Live 611429, which covers the Swan and Huntington Hall. Worcester Hub number for council matters is 
765-765 or 722233. Crime Stoppers is 0800 555 111. Our telephone number is 01905 767766 and our address is 11 Wiles Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. Our website address is www.worcestertalkingnews.org.uk on which you can find all the recordings for the weekly news and monthly magazines and much more. Um, Lighting up time is 21.30 to 4.47. Just to remind you that the thought for today and the obituaries will follow the final music. And we greatly value your feedback, likes or dislikes or changes you may like to make. Just let us know either by phone or pop a note into your envelopes. We'd love to hear from you and from all of us tonight. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thought for today, Proverbs 15, verses 9 to 11. The Lord detests the way of the wicked, but he loves those who pursue righteousness. Stern discipline awaits anyone who leaves the path. The one who hates correction will die. Death and destruction lie open before the Lord. How much more do human hearts? And for the obituaries, Sonia Armstrong, nay Underhill, passed away peacefully on May the 14th, aged 89. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on June the 14th at 1.45. Margaret Agnes Chafer, called Rita, Passed away peacefully on May the 16th, aged 94. Requiem Mass will be at St. George's Roman Catholic Church on June the 21st at 12 noon, followed by internment at St. John's Cemetery. Brian Hartland passed away on May the 15th, aged 52. The funeral service is at St. James Church in Norton at 1.30 on June the 10th. Don May Hill passed away, I beg your pardon, Doris Mayhill passed away aged 94 on the 31st of May. The funeral service is at St. Michael's Church in Solwall on June the 13th at 3pm. Seamus Lynch, known as James, passed away on the 23rd in St. Richard's Hospice aged 63. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on June the 14th at 11.30. Ernest North, known as Ernie, passed away at home on June the 1st, aged 81. The funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on June the 19th at 10 o'clock. Tony Wood of Whittington passed away peacefully on May the 21st, aged 68. The funeral services at St. Philip's and St. James Church in Whittington on June the 14th at 11 a.m. Jean Audrey Draper passed away on June the 2nd. The funeral services at the Vale Crematorium in Fladbury on June the 13th at 1 p.m. Leslie Harris Jenkins passed away peacefully at Queen Elizabeth Hospital on May the 20th, age 94. The funeral for the immediate family only. Um, and the details for that is 01905 22137. Anthony Stanley, known as Tony, passed away suddenly on May the 30th, age 71. The funeral as, is at the Vale Crematorium in Fladbury on June the 19th at 12 noon. Robert Barnes, known as Bob, passed away peacefully at Hereford County Hospital on June the 5th, age 76. The funeral is at Hereford Crematorium on June the 27th at 12.45.
Louise Morris, nay Curfee, passed away on at Worcester Royal Hospital on the 5th of June, age 41. Celebration of her life at the Vale Crematorium on June the 20th at 1pm. Jeanette Portman, known as Jean, passed away on May the 9th. The funeral services at Worcester Crematorium at 12.15 on June the 20th. Ruby Sanders passed away on May the 29th, age 93. The funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on June the 20th at 10.45. Graham Turner, retired employer employee of MEB Worcester, passed away on June the 3rd. The funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on June the 20th at 2.30. Patricia Kale, known as Pat, nay Holloway, aged 85, passed away on May the 26th. The funeral service is at Holton Price Crematorium in Willoughby on June the 20th at 11 a.m. Sorry, 11.30 a.m. Angela Penelope Jane Jones, nay Colchester, passed away on May the 11th. The funeral service is at Bransford Chapel on June the 21st at 11 a.m. Dr. Alistair John Munro passed away at St. Richard's Hospice on May the 31st, age 68. Service of is service of committal is at the Worcester Crematorium on June the eighteenth at ten a.m. Mike Fletcher of Droitwich passed away on June the second, age seventy-one. Funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on June the eighteenth at one forty-five. Alexander Foster, um, B.E.M., which is the British Empire Medal, known as Alex, passed away on May the fourteenth. Aged 84, the funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on June the 19th at 11.30. Desmond John Grubb, known as Des, passed away on May the 17th, aged 85. The funeral service is at St. Lawrence Church, Witchenford, on June the 18th at 1.30. Dennis Thomas passed away on May the 27th, aged 92. The funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on June the 18th at 11.30. We wish all the family um, our deepest sympathies.